hello, you are listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode was recorded on April 23, 2018, at the Tangier American Legation Institute for Moroccan Studies. In this podcast, we welcome Fulbright scholar Gwyneth Talley from the University of California at Los Angeles, who discusses her research findings on Morocco's little-known tradition of women troops who perform the famous Fantasia, Fantasia to Borada equestrian ceremony. Good evening. Thank you all for coming. I don't know all of you. My name is John Davison. I'm the director of the American Legation. Um, later on, we'll have time for questions. And we do, we, when we do have questions, please introduce yourselves, because I suspect I know where some of you study, but I, I don't know all of you. Um, it's first welcome to the Legation. Uh, there, it's uh, as you, I, you, some of you know, the American Legation is the only U.S. National Historic Monument of the United States that's located outside of the United States. And as of two years, uh, two years ago, we actually were classified on the Moroccan list as well. So we're a monument in two countries, which we should be because the building was a gift from the Sultan of Morocco. We're a museum, and you're in a room that represents the museum. The museum's about Moroccan-American friendship, both political and diplomatic, but also culturally, cultural friendship, which is why we're here tonight. Uh, in addition to having a museum, we have a research library that focuses on uh, mostly on historical and cultural volumes, some of which go back to the 1700s in English, French, Portuguese, Spanish. Uh, many of the scholars here from the United States have studied there and have done research there, so if you meet them after, please ask them about it. But we would we will always welcome Moroccan scholars. I know Abdul Burr and a couple other people have used the library before, so it's open. Uh, the catalog is online, so please, students, consider us when you're doing your research. We're a community center. We teach women's literacy to women, uh, Arabic literacy, to women from the Medina of Tangier, and we have English language scholarships right now downstairs. There are some middle school students uh, who have received four-year English language scholarships. They're science, they're science students, but uh, they're getting four years of English, the first year here at the Legation, and the other three at the American Language Center. But we also give them mentoring. So uh, I see, I don't know where you're sitting, but Yusuf has helped us um, design speakers who have different scientific careers who can talk about their careers, uh, women who can talk to girls about the different challenges that women, that girls might face as they pursue scientific careers. And we're a cultural center that offers sometimes theater, sometimes academic talks, sometimes music. And we have a few things coming up that might interest you. On Saturday night, for those of you who speak Dirija, we have slam poetry with poets from Tangier. That's this coming Saturday at 7 o'clock, I think. Look for our Facebook page. Next Tuesday afternoon, are any of you from um, Martil in the English department? Do any of you study? Next Tuesday at 4.30 in the afternoon, the Dean of the English Department, Professor Ben Hayoun, will give a lecture on poetry at the legation. So, <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> so please tell your friends, if you can hear. <laughs> can you? And that's next Tuesday. 
We'll have some other, uh, oh, we have some other talks later in May. We have a, for those of you from Tetuan, uh, we'll have a talk by a, a professor from the University of Illinois who just recently published a book by Harvard, from Harvard University Press about colonial Andalus and Spain. And he'll give a talk in English here on May 11th and I believe in Spanish in Tetuan on May 15th. Um, so if those of you from northern Morocco who are interested, or anywhere in Morocco, who are interested in how Moroccan independence took the myth of Al-Andalus that Franco was pushing and turned it around and said, well, if you're really going to talk about Al-Andalus, that's Morocco, it's not Spain. And so the Moroccan independence movement came out of that. I'm probably forgetting. Oh, and one other thing, we have an art exhibit that we've kept open for you to look at. It's called Mon Maroc, My India. It just premiered on Saturday. It will be here on Friday night, excuse me. It will be here for one month, so have a look and add it. It's the comparison between Morocco and India by a photographer from Great Britain. Um, and please tell your friends to come back. So I'm going to introduce Gwyneth Talley. Gwyneth, as you can see, is from the UCLA Department of Anthropology. She's working on her doctorate. She has had a Fulbright Scholar uh, and was based in Fez. Um, as you have figured out, this talk is about horses. I know that besides being a scholar of horses, you love horses. Any of you grow up on farms? Do any of you come from farms? Because Gwyneth did. Gwyneth grew up in a farm. Uh, her mom's here somewhere. Um, if any of you love horses, you, you can talk to her about you grew up on a farm in Idaho. Gwyneth grew up on a farm in Nebraska. If you know US geography, that's the heartland of the United States. <laughs> it really is. And um, you grew up there, but you've been helping, not only studying the traditions in Morocco, you've been helping. I know the Funduk in Fez is a very famous center that takes care of horses and donkeys who've been abused. And, she's, and Gwyneth has been a volunteer there since you've come to Morocco, I think. Um, and um, I don't think there's any more, except you went to University of Nebraska, and we're going to learn a whole lot of new things, I hope. Um, and so Inshallah. thank you very much. Inshallah. <laughs> Well, welcome, and thank you, and marhaba bikum, shukran bzef, Allah. So first of all, I want to thank John and all of the Talim staff for having me. This is my first presentation outside a Fulbright Symposium in Morocco, so uh, a little nervous, but also really excited. Uh, I also want to thank Dr. James Miller, who couldn't be here. He's also the Fulbright Commissioner down in Rabat for the Moroccan-American Commission for Education and Cross-Cultural Exchange. You can never remember that acronym. And, um, and a big thank you to my parents, who've been wonderfully supportive, but who also instilled my obsession with horses, so it's their own fault. Um, and so, yeah, happy to have my mom here when I can present. So that's also like happy face to like look at, right? Um, secondly, I will warn you, I will make a lot of terrible horse metaphors and puns, so stick with me and we won't put the cart too far ahead of the horse. Ah, it's so bad, it's so bad. So about me, this is my first self-indulgent slide and I promise it's also the last. Um, so as John introduced, I'm Gwyneth Talley. I'm a lifelong equestrian, I'm a National Geographic Young Explorer, a uh, Fulbright alumni, and a PhD candidate, which is just too much. <laughs> um, I'm an anthropologist, and I've been coming to Morocco since 2010, 
And um, I started at a study abroad program in Meknes, where I ended up living with a host family in the regional stud farm, or the Haras Regional in Meknes. And uh, so that's where I first saw the beginnings of what would be, an, it's probably going to be a lifelong research project at this point. Um, and I also focus on sociocultural and visual anthropology. So if you get tired of listening to me, there's lots of good photos to look at. Um, and I want to just tell you, uh, my first trip to Morocco, I didn't see a taburita, but I saw someone practicing it. So I saw someone training a horse for it. And I asked my host dad, what was it? And he was a horse trainer, and he's like, oh, that's taburita. What's that? <laughs> um, and after that, I kept seeing it postcards, paintings. Um, but I was always in the cities. And if you're a tourist, you never see the taburita. And after that, it just kind of resulted in this kind of continuing persistence of, where are the horses in Morocco? And so let's begin. So first of all, um, what is taburita? Do I have Moroccans? Who's seen the taburita? Fantasia, as most tourists will know. Taburita, yeah, yeah. Raise them high. Okay, so we've got some people who know what I'm talking about. Um, so my research uh, allowed me to hit the far reaches of Morocco. So I've been to Zagora. I've been to Arbawa, which is outside Kasar al-Kabir. It's a town of 2,000 people. Uh, little places, big places. And I've been following a group of women Taborida writers. So who's seen uh, Taborida Nasuya, female Taborida? Even smaller, perfect, okay. Um, so I keep saying Taburida. What is Taburida? Uh, most of you might know it um, called the Fantasia, um, but Taburida comes from the word Barud, which means gunpowder, or Laba Barud, the gunpowder games. And it's a former cavalry charge used by the Arabs and the Amazigh tribes um, for raids, for warfare, and it was one of those big things where you'd get a va uh, vanguard cavalry, line your horses and riders up, carrying your gunpowder rifles, before that, spears and swords, charge at your enemy all together, discharge your weapons, come back and do it again, which is quite terrifying. Um, so if you're sitting in front of the observation tent now, they come at you, but they're supposed to stop. Sometimes they might not. Um, so when asking a bardi or bardia, uh, which is a rider, or um, the translation is a knight, uh, one, wo one woman says, it's my life. A young man in his 20s calls it my addiction. Another calls it, that's my summer fun. And many describe it as a popular and purely Moroccan sport. So still, what, what, a, what is all this? Um, and so you have this incredible huge uh, cavalry history, so it's used in raids against tribes, it's used against the French, and um, in Algeria, a very famous French general, General Eugène de Ma, uh, who befriends uh, General Abdelkader, actually has a great exchange with him and writes two books about the horses of the Sahara and the ways of the desert, describing in great detail what makes a good horse, what makes uh, a good rider, how do you ride, how do you recreate this, and he ended up eventually trained his own units to ride as the Algerians and the Moroccans did, because it proved very effective. Um, so today it's just a cultural spectacle. It's used for saints days, festivals, weddings, and it's also a very competitive sport. It is also a dinner show spectacle at Chez Ali in Marrakesh. 
Um, so if you can't track down it to Borida, but I highly recommend going to the festivals in the country, um, you can go to Shezali. And historically, it's a male practice that men would pass down from father to son, um, uncle to nephew, and it would just go through the male line. So only in the past 15 years have women started becoming involved in Taborida in larger numbers. There are documents of women writing before this, but there's no kind of crucial evidence. They start, they stop, we don't see their faces, they cover their faces so they can ride. Um, and I'm an anthropologist, so I'm sticking with the here and now for the most part. So I'm just gonna show a quick clip. This is um, the troop of Amal Ahmri. She's a, a muqaddama, a leader in Knitra. And this is her in Zagora. You can see it, but it's a little bit anticlimactic without the boom. Okay, so uh, it's really hard to keep a telescoping lens like this and you're really waiting for the boom and you're just like, ah. So I do apologize for the shakiness, but um, that's one of the female troops. So why do I focus on women? Number one, why not? Um, it was kind of a way to keep my project feasible and there's little ethnographic knowledge about Taborida in general, so I kind of wanted to start on the small size. and. Um, also, as a female writer myself, it was kind of a good way to have an in with them and uh, be able to kind of find a connecting point. And since there's kind of, we're still working on research on Muslim women in sports and leisure activities, especially male-dominated sports as Taborida, it was kind of a great way to start culminating this, like, this project on Taborida. And finally, there is correlation and causation of their emergence with the appointment of Princess Lala Mina, who is the king's aunt. Um, in 2001, she was the president of the Royal Federation of Equestrian Sports, and in the two and correlation causation with the 2004 Mudawana legislation giving more rights to women. So we gotta, we're locked and loaded. We're ready to we're ready to talk about the background here. Uh, this is a woman in the troop of Bushra Nabata, based in Rabat. Um, this was kind of a little. The only word I could give you is scrimmage. It wasn't a full-on Muslim, but uh, it was her and her brother's troop that were practicing. So when thinking about women's involvement with Taborda, you have two very famous female authors of Morocco and Algeria writing about women in the resistance and women in mounted resistance. Um, so Fatima Mersi wrote that one of her grandmother's co-wives would perform fantasias for the children. Uh, this warrior Berber wife of her grandmother who rode horses and carried a rifle during the French colonial era in Morocco was an example of a strong woman writer. Mernissi's imagery of the war, the war heroine who had a khanjar or a dagger dangling from her right hip, who wore a real cape and the kind of bracelets that you could use to defend yourself if necessary, associates her description with how the Fantasia developed out of centuries of Moroccan, Arab, and Berber cavalry riders and the traditional costumes worn in Taborita. 
Asia Jabbar also wrote that it was permissible to ride um, for the Algerian women because it was considered jihad. Um, but after the war, they would go home and they were expected to return to their normal domestic roles. And two generations later in Morocco, under King Mohammed VI, he appoints his aunt, uh, who is also an avid equestrian, to be the president of the uh, Royal Equestrian Federation in 2000. His slow introduction of female leadership uh, pl in places like ministries, federations, uh, later as governors, um, ambassadors, were just beginning of the wave of reform that he would exhibit early on in his reign. In 2004, a new personal status code, or the Mudawana, offered a women freedom and rights such as the abolishment of the guardian, the rights to divorce, raise the legal marriage age. We know a lot of this, yeah. Um, and many people, many scholars have looked at the legislation and have criticized it or have praised it. Um, I'm not gonna beat a dead horse, uh, but uh, the main things to understand with my argument is that uh, the women that I focus on are coming of age in this era. And they're usually in urban cities, so they're very aware of their rights, their new rights. And so far, they're more aware of them than their rural counterparts, which is a large factor at play when looking at women who do Tuborida. So also in 2005, they started a trophy class for the women who would ride um, at a national level. So you had about four or five teams competing against each other for the top titles, as occurs with the male's team. So you have the teenage teams and then you have the adult teams. So we're about to get fired up here. Ah, sorry, I'm really, I'm a terrible pun. Um, women are having to address old traditions with the modern laws being put into place. So they have more freedom to participate in education, in work, and in sports, and are generally more visible. So I know. Uh, we had a lot of people who raised their hands that had seen Taborida, and then three or four hands that saw um, a female Taborida. So, shui bishuia, they are getting more uh, and more press time. So, with this comes like a certain amount of hybridity. So, as the new generation moves forward with the opportunities provided in the new Mudawana, I argue that anthropologists must move away from our typical Western binary of way of thinking. So we're, we're not thinking of male-female, public-private, honor-shame, urban-rural, traditional modernity, femininity, ma masculinity. We're just getting rid of that. Um, so, and Laila Abogod implores um, people to challenge the standard anthropological generalization about social structure and culture and commonest fem common feminist interpretations of gender relationships in non-Western society. Um, so in layman's terms, we're gonna look at this group of women as, a, as not an example of all Moroccan women. They're um, a, just a pocket in a large group, but they're, we're telling their story. So these are individuals, uh, these are individual understandings and interactions within the new era under the new Mudawana, and moving forward with the confusing framework that Morocco makes for itself. The traditional living or the modern nation state self it wishes to show to the Western world, as Rachel Newcomb once said. Moroccan women don't live in a prescribed way. These women, these women who do taborida negotiate and live in a hybridity between what's considered traditional and modern, and within the context of sports and for formerly male-dominated jobs and political positions. So the key to understanding these women's experiences is acknowledging that they are not leaders in a typical sense, like a political leader, um, even large group leaders. You have one leader in a small association of people who do taborida. Um, but they're leaders with public voices in a sense that they get a lot of press time, they do speak up for themselves, 
and they're part of a generation that is leading the charge of feminism without the word in Morocco, making this kind of, this kind of femi feminism that I'm going to talk about a horse of a different color. I know, I'm, ter I'm really terrible, I'm sorry. Um, feminism is quite a political term in Morocco. You don't refer to feminism without politics being directly associated with it. Um, so pre-protectorate Morocco was considered culturally, and I'll talk about feminism in a second. Um, pre-protectorate Morocco was considered culturally hegemonic. Generations of scholars discuss the vibrancy of multi-ethnic and multilingual landscapes of the land of the setting sun. Today, the country is known for its hybridity between east and west, Tangier being a very good example of that. Uh, a hybridity between North Africa and Europe and reconciling Islamic traditional heritage with Western lifestyle and technology. Some scholars have even discussed the negotiation of east and west as a, typical, as a type of social schizophrenia. When speaking of women in Morocco, Zakia Daoud believes that women have grown to inhabit a cultural context increasingly riddled, a schizophrenic cohabitation of a desire for change and no less strong desire to obey traditional values. So being pulled in two different directions. So this argument against strict economies is critical now because much has happened politically, socially, and culturally to blur the dichotomies of these strict public, private, urban, rural, masculine, feminine, public, private. Um, and it's no longer relevant. So with the past 20 years with the new keeming in power, um, higher rates of women are staying in school longer, they're finishing school, they're going on to university degrees, and the reformed family law code in 2004 opening up opportunities for women um, that really allow them to participate um, in a broader range of society. So in 2016, when I presented my preliminary findings at a research symposium in Rabat, my female Taborida research participants kept metaphorically um, ticking the boxes of what I know as feminism. And it's feminism in the Western context. We want egalitarianism, we want, we want equality. And they regularly clashed with men over what they could and could not do on the field. They repeatedly stood up for each other they were constantly pushing into the traditional male spaces and they were aware of the criticism they faced at every turn. Um, yet my participants never said the word feminism. Or like, they would say, it's my right. Um, or, you know, we're the same. But they would never use the word feminism, which always kind of frustrated me till I did more reading. And um, my discussant, Dr. Fatima Edmus, who's uh, a university professor in Kaza, acknowledge that this is exactly what it was. It's feminism without the word. Um, and it's kind of an interesting part of Morocco, but um, actions must speak for themselves and we can't call it feminism. So I'm gonna refer to it as this hybridity um, or the horses of a different color because it's, it's not the same thing as feminism as we know in Western society. Also, if you wanna read more about feminism, I highly recommend checking out uh, Fatima Siddiqui's work on feminism. She's pretty in-depth with that knowledge. Fatima Siddiqui, she's a university professor based in Fez. Um, and this is uh, another woman from the troupe in Rabat. So women's visibility. Um, so you, they get a lot of press attention and they have a huge physical presence because they have to be separate from the men on the Taburi, excuse me, the Taburi the field. So you have a visible separateness on the field, yet they're on the field, and they're, on, they're always interviewed for any kind of uh, deuxième, media on TV, 
and they're big on social media pre presence. They have lots of Facebook pages that you can like and learn about them. And uh, if you want to get on all the big ones, ask me later. Um, but between the proposal for the reform in 2003 and the subsequent enactment of the Royal Dahir of the new family law code in 2004, it was a year of significant change. While there were debates about the effectiveness and the actual freedoms women enjoy, there are a number of undeniable changes of this new legislation. Many of the young women have gone to university, attended and participated in sporting events, and given their voices to discussing their time um, working in male-dominated jobs and filling political positions. While the women might not be representing Morocco's definition of feminism, their visibility transmits the message of freedoms that they enjoy to a larger and more rural audience who might not have access to the concept of feminism without the word. So the, what, I'm, what I'm saying is when they're in uh, rural areas, these women on horseback who are definitely, definitely in the minority, they're really being viewed by the, by the spectators as, oh, women can do this. And it becomes this thing of just being a visually um, there and being a visual evidence of, look what women can do, that they end up inspiring a lot. And they get tons of Facebook messages going, how can I do this? How can I be like you? And they offer a lot of inspiration that way. Um, so when they appoint the head of the, uh, the Royal Moroccan Equestrian Federation, uh, Princess Lala Amina encouraged women to enter into this aspect of every equestrian sport, such as dressage, jumping, equitation, and, and the male-dominated tradition of taborida. Uh, she was a contemporary of her former president of the International Equestrian Federation, Princess Haya of Jordan, and thus creating a welcoming place for females from Arab countries in the top equestrian sporting arenas. And I, I use that term very lightly, Arab Amazir countries. Um, so in 2004, when Ama Amri, who is my main focus, and I'll show you a picture of her in a second, when Amal was in her mid-teens, she was frequently riding at the Kenitra Equestrian Club, along with balancing her schoolwork and other sports. So she was finishing up um, high school and then moving on to university. So one day, her mother pestered her into accompanying her to a local Taburida festival. Amal was immediately mesmerized, even though many times before she's like, no, I'm not interested. You go, mama. I'm, I'm okay. Uh, her mother had met her a few Mukaddam or Taborida leaders, and when one of the riders could not ride, she kind of voluntold Amal, you're going to go ride with them. So it was a kind of a great mother instance where, when I say voluntold, her mother volunteered her for, for them. So Amal filled the spot, and the Mukaddam wanted to test her first and made her ride on one of the horses. She described having a qu typical equestrian seat, a stride on an English saddle, um, feet, feet, and hip, uh, feet down, hips and spine vertical while seated, legs and knees forward. But the Mukaddam approved. For the next two years, she rode with all-male all teams in local festivals and musems, and Amal traded going to the equestrian club for jumping lessons, to frequenting friends' farms to learn taburida and to practice with the team. Her mother traveled with her to various events, but eventually the men talk, uh, were, talking, um, were talking derisively about her, which continually overwhelmed her. She recalled being excluded from riding in male teams because men refused to ride with her, or they called her uh, a spinster. Amal formed her own group in 2006 in Kenitra and took them to the national competition at Dar Salaam in Rabat to compete for the Hassan De Trophy. She also skipped her final exams of university to do this. Um, 
but she won the gold medal that year, so she'd say it was worth it. Uh, winning the gold medal for the next three years, Amal even admitted uh, to this being uh, an obsession, and many people use the word addiction in, in Dereja, but she's like, I don't like that word, it sounds like you're talking about drugs. But to anyone who's a horse person, we know horses are, are drugs. So creating the all-female Tabutage troops helped avoid the criticism of male teams. In one of her, uh, and in one of her first meetings, Amal told me that oftentimes male teams would cut in front of them when it came to their turn to gallop down the field. Uh, so she had to be more assertive, actively, physically more, more assertive. She would kick her horse and encourage her riders to push in front of them, demanding their place on the field. And many other girls and troops have done this where uh, they'll say, oh, the Taburida's done for the day, and then a female troop will be riding down the middle as people are trying to exit the fairgrounds. Um, so they really do demand and pu push their presence on the field. Uh, other female Taburida leaders recall being yelled at by their families when they first tried to mount their horses, um, just learning, just learning how to ride, just being yelled at. Uh, if women's troops did not perform well, if they fell from their horses, if they dropped their rifles, if they failed to discharge their rifles, uh, they were at the mercy and the ridicule of the men's teams, even though a lot of men, male riders will fall, will not discharge their rifles, um, all kinds of things like that. Um, but for all the female troops, the pressure to be perfect and allow no opportunity for criticism was and still is very high. If the women's troops were found wanting, the likelihood of them returning to the same festival or being invited to another was very low. In 2011, the women's Taborida class was abruptly cut from the competition program. To an outside spectator, the class disappeared almost as soon as it appeared. So right as I start learning about Taborida and the women's Taborida, it's gone. <sighs> Which, as researchers, everyone knows that can be very frustrating. Um, but there was quickly uh, gossip circulating of like, why did they take this away? Uh, some, so there are kind of three main speculations. There's uh, leaders that didn't get along. Uh, there was the king of Saudi Arabia who came to view the competition and he, didn't let, he did not like seeing women on horses. Um, or they were accused, one troop was accused of immoral acts. So drinking, staying in a male tent, um, smoking, anything like that can be con considered immoral, even though you'll see a male team smoke keef from a sebsi pipe after their tabureta. Um So a little bit different, double standard there. So one of the other, so one of the things is that if they had gone on to do more, they would have been featured at the Salon du Cheval in El Jadida in October, um, and they would have kept building this class up. Uh, so in 2011, the class is taken away. 2012, Princess Lala Mina dies, and there the story has ended for the national trophy. But women still continue to compete on the local level. So, uh, as this, this is a key example of women being more visible in public sphere, but still having to negotiate the politics and the stakes of being in the spotlight. Uh, as Siddiqui suggests, women are not allowed into former male-dominated spheres, but are expected to conduct their business and be on their way, which really holds true with Taburida. Their tent must be, be away from their men, be away from the men. Uh, they ride, but they don't interact. They have to just stay and kind of maintain a certain image. So in March 2016, 
uh, at a Taborida festival in Tamara, men were openly smoking keef, like what I was saying. When I asked to take a picture, they all gathered around, but they instantly held, uh, hid their sepsi pipes. This is a male team. So obviously the men have like, you know, it's totally okay to smoke from the sepsi pipe, but just, you know, hide it from the researcher, hide it from the, from the photographer. Um, but it's completely normal. It's, you know, the, when I ask the question, they're like, Addy, it's normal, you know, it's, it's okay. Female troop? Mm-mm. Shuma. Um, so you have this kind of double standard left for the women. So they're still trying to negotiate these kind of two, um, two, two kind of uh, worlds. So we see that women must negotiate and curate their image while they're in the spotlight. And aside from, aside from hybridity, and uh, we talk about the different gender roles, and we, we kind of muddle what gender expectations are. So this is uh, my main research participant. This is Amal Ahmari, and that's her little daughter, Lilia, in 2016 in Zagora. And Lilia is now four. I think she's about two and a half, three there. And so we have a married Taborida leader on her horse that her husband bought her with her daughter starting to ride. And Lilia will run around at the Taborida festivals, grab the rifles, and start pretending to play Taborida. And that's how kids get started here. So you're starting to muddle these gender expectations. So single and married women participate. Some bring their children to the Taborida festivals. And, and they've started to have expectations with marriage, and they ask, will, I st will you, on part of the mar marriage contracts, they'll ask, will I still be able to ride to Borita? Is that gonna be a thing in our marriage? Um, and work and education are still high priorities for these women. So you often have these women who grew up in an urban area with family members that had farms, so they kind of negotiate this urban-rural divide as well. And most of the big festivals are held in rural areas. So they negotiate this kind of hybridity of being farm girls who live in the city um, with their horse obsession, which I, can, I live in LA now, so not having horses near me is a bit challenging. So I can definitely, uh, Definitely agree with them. And then, so they have also entered into male work environments. So Amal is also a mounted policewoman, and this is, this is no secret. Uh, one day the phone rang for her, and a man offered her a job riding and working with horses in the local precinct at, in the Canitra Riding Academy. Amal joined the uh, Securité Nationale and the state police force in 2012, soon after giving birth to her daughter, Lilia. So they were waiting for her to give birth, um, give her about two months to recover, and then she was expected at training. So in order for her to train for a year at the police academy, Amal and her husband Mehdi hired a nanny to take care of Lilia while she was in training. As a mounted officer, she serves to patrol events such as beach patrol, mawazin, large events like New Year's Eve, parades, and performs at the annual Salon du Cheval. Amal is from the new emerging class of women who are allowed to join the uh, mounted police force. She's under this new generation, under the Mudawana. And it's kind of, again, she's, she's a very interesting group. She leads an interesting group of people that way. The, Mor the Moroccan government and the police remain tight-lipped about their duties, but it's transparency um, about the police force. So like Salon du Cheval, they will answer almost any question about the mounted division you can ask, which is fabulous. And, um, what Amal can and cannot say a lot for her police division is that um, most of her answers regarding her jobs would be vetted through her husband, Mehdi. 
So there's also this deferment to her husband. So again, there's this great negotiation between um, family roles and what's allowed. Let's see. Um, she also just gave birth to her first son in September. So now as a mother of two small children and a woman in male-oriented job and participating in a male-dominated sport, Amal is a very unique example. But other women in her troop, uh, most of them have jobs. They either work on their family farm. One is a jockey. One is a, uh, her sister is a model. Uh, let's see. They have all brilliant different jobs. So they have a diverse educational background. Everyone's finished high school in her troop. Um, most of them are going on for their master's degrees. So you also have this high level of education and they're trying to schedule practice time with the women is notably very tough. Um, so Amal enters the public space through Taborda. She invades the male space of Taborda and her job on the police force, yet she negotiates all of her interactions and her relationships she has according to the situation. So Amal has to nav navigate the rural areas using her background, knowledge of both urban and rural, and socially accepted behavior that allows the fluidity to adapt between expected public behavior and um, private thoughts. So the curation of image, actively tailoring her speech to interactions, um, actively asserting herself and her rights, and finally leading through examples, she's become the horse of a different color, being a feminist without the word. And let's see. So these are three women in Amal's troop. They are um, one kind of waiting to mount up. One is wrapping her hand. So if, any, if anyone's seen Taborida, the gunpowder rifle often can pinch or uh, rain down gunpowder on your hand. So the girl on the far left is wrapping her hand so her hand doesn't get burned. And Fatima in the middle is putting her boots on while Bedia is checking Facebook. <laughs> Again, curating that image. So wrapping up, um, so as I've hopefully attempted to demonstrate, the women in the Taburida are galloping through an interesting area of hybridity, negotiating gender roles, sticking up for their rights and challenging cultural norms. And I mainly refer to one person in this presentation because to tell everyone's life story in 20 minutes is absolutely difficult. Um, I stick with Amal because she is a very visible woman. So if you guys wanna go on YouTube and type in Amma Amri, you'll be able to find as many YouTube videos of her as there's about three different pages of her Google, and she just, she's, she's there. She has a presence. Um, she, what? Yes. Yes. So she, and um, the, that you said that. Her mother is the one that has been pushing her for Taburita, which is absolutely very interesting because her father has no interest in it whatsoever. So while he's supportive, he'll be like, oh, bravo, and then, He's, he never attends any of the Taborida events. He went once, and that was it. But she, she's actively supported by her entire family, her mother and her sisters, and her husband especially, um, which is very um, unusual. So she's sticking up for their, she's part of sticking up for her rights, so she can, and she's challenging cultural norms. And as the women are gaining exposure, uh, my filmmaker partner, Gabriela Garcia Pardo, and I are working on a documentary film following Amal Amri, and this will be our third year on the project, and we are hoping to finish this fall. This is a big inshallah. Um, and I would like to play the rough cut trailer for you as an incentive for you to keep watching out for it later, and just know hopefully it will be done 
we'll be finished filming it after Ramadan, inshallah, and then be able to present it. My main goal with our video is to show it in Morocco to Moroccan women um, as inspiration to be like, you can, just as inspiration to say, you can do anything you put your mind to. Um, so I will remind, especially my native Darija speakers in the audience, it's a very rough cut, so if the Darija is a bit off, smahalia bzafullah. Um, so that is one of our final pictures we've got there, so give me a second. الريحة ديال البارود الريحة ديال الطياب الريحة الأصوات اللي سمعت هذاك هذاك لوجو كتجلس وكتشوف الناس كيدوزو السرابي كيدوزو مي كوم ان طابلو كلشي بقى لي في عقلي هذاك الشيء اللي جرني لأن أنايا لوجو اللي بديت كندير فيه هاد لوجو هذا اللي بديت كندير فيه التواريدة ان سورتو البنات اللي كيتبردوا معايا ماشي حنايا كنعتبروا نفسنا عائله كيقولوا بان حرام المرأة تركب ولكن حرام المرأة تركب المعتقدات ديالهم بالناس دابا من بعد ما ولات بنتي الاولى ولات وبيس كنخاف لان دائما تيقول قبر الفارس مفتوح لهذا المخلوق بالقوه ديالو بداكشي الانسان يتحكم فيه عمري شفت شي راجل دابا عنده بيبي ولا شي حاجه حبست الطريق بنات اه يعني من بعد الولاده الثانيه ما نعرف كانت منا من الله ما عمر يجي الاختيار هذا هي كل شيء تقدر تكون وخا كان حاول يعني نكون مرامس أولى ونكون دباجة حافا يدار وهذا كل شيء وإنما دائما تولدك في القمح الليلية أنا يوم أنا كيعجبني ما يمكنش أنا غادي نفيد مش حاجة اللي أنا باغاها للهضرة ديالي so the other aspects, this is just one aspect of my entire dissertation. So I also focus on human-horse relationships, the relationships between the writers, and of course the documentary is also a project. Um, so keep your eye out. Happy trails. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you all coming.
Thank you for listening to Maghreb in Past and Present podcasts. Other episodes are available on our website, www.themaghrebpodcast.com, as well as on iTunes and Podbean.